We are on the last of the series on spiritual gifts, and I want to open by sharing a little story. If you've read through C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, one of them is The Silver Chair, one of the books is, and as you get to this book, there's two characters, two children, and they pick up a sidekick, a marsh wiggle, uh, whose name is Puddle Glum, and they're on the hunt for a missing prince, Prince Rillian, and at the beginning of their hunt, the Christ figure, Aslan, gives them some clues for how to find Prince Rillian. And one of them is to look under me. And they're really confused what in the world this can mean. And during their search, during their adventures, they're in a snowstorm, and all of a sudden they fall into a chasm. And as they're trying to get out of this chasm, they're hopelessly lost and going, what in the why is this thing like this? Well, they finally escape and get into a castle, a giant's castle. And the next couple days, they look out of the castle and they see the words in the courtyard under me. But they couldn't see the words because they're so big, they're built by giants and they were so up close to them. But then when they backed up and were able to look down, they were able to go, oh, that says under me. That was the clue. And sometimes in life, we get so close up on the thing that we're supposed to see that we miss what we're looking at. We've spent a few looks, a few weeks, taking a deep dive on certain spiritual gifts that we always have to be careful. Well, in focusing in real close, have we missed the big picture? And so this last lesson is really going to be a big picture overview. If you have deep dive questions, we can maybe try to answer those, but that's not the goal. So I want to back up and look at really all of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, that we're going to focus on chapter 14. And look at, well, what is Paul really trying to convey? Big picture. Yes, all the little details matter. We're not denying that. But what's the big picture? So we're going to read first, verse Corinthians 12 and 13. And as we're going through, my argument, and hopefully the scriptures will bear this out, is that Paul's big argument is that he wants them to love one another by using their spiritual gifts, whatever they have been given, so that they can build others up. I think that's what 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is all about. So as we're reading, I left you some space on your notes. I want you to make little notes. Oh, right there. That was Paul saying, this is about building others up. Maybe he doesn't use those words. Maybe he does. But um, we'll just maybe have people do five verses. So Marie, could you do the first five? Joseph, the next five. And then we'll just go around until we get to the end of chapter 13. And then we're going to write on the board. What are the big picture ideas that we're seeing about loving one another, building one another up in 1 Corinthians 12 13? Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you are pagan somehow or other, you are influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking... Um, by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is his Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of servants, but the same Lord. Uh, and there, verse 6, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the, the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Tracy, can you pick up verse 16 to 20? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? 
But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Well, could you pick up verse 26 to uh, 30? And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, writings of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent one. Mir, can you do one through five? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not rate itself is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Stan, could you read 6 to 10? <clears throat> does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there, were, if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, there will, it will be done away. For we know in part we are that, and we have prophesied in part. But then, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Arnaldo, could you finish up that chapter? When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I responded like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have fully known, as I have fully known. <clears throat> so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greater of these is love. All right, so as we look at those verses, what are some things to show that spiritual gifts are for the building up of others? Seven cents for the common good. Okay, and we'll. Okay, now we're gonna definitely gonna see that in chapter fourteen. Do we see that in twelve and thirteen? I'm not saying we didn't. I'm just trying to. Get... Uh, I mean, I only recently noticed verses twenty-two. Is chapter twelve? Okay. Twenty-two through twenty-five. How he, to me, he's saying that all parts of the body require honor or should be honored. It's just different types of honor. It's a very almost unusual analogy about the body and less or more unpresentable parts actually require a greater modesty and we, we honor those differently. You know, it just it's this whole thing about like your concept of honor and, and coveting for where you are or where someone else is, you're, you're kind of missing the point of the, the body. Yeah, okay. So the goal of all this is not just for me to go, well, I don't think you but to help to honor all. We you say something? Uh, 27 just says now you are the body of Christ and the individual. 
12, chapter 12 is about one body. <clears throat> Anything else? Those verses? Almost every statement in chapter 13 is about outward looking. There's a very specific one. Love does not seek its own. Um, does not insist in its own way. Verse 5. So we could put all chapter 13. And the whole point of chapter 13 is, okay, you have all these gifts, great. But what's the point? Are you using them to love? That's the whole point. And that's going to lead us through chapter 14. So he kind of laid groundwork in chapter 12, then he gave this big picture, what's all about love, and then he's going to dive down in chapters, chapter, sorry, chapter 14, to say, okay, so what does love look like? And I've split it up. Uh, you have your little sheet there. Will my speech build others up? I think that's what verses 1 through 12, big picture is all about. Verses 13 through 19, is now the right time for this? So we're going to see there might be something good, but you might need to go, well, just because something's good, and this is something you probably teach your children, doesn't mean now is the time to do it. <laughs> you might have a really good thing, but you know what? Right now is not the time that that good thing should be done. Then, will this be a blessing or a curse? might be a good thing, but at this moment it might be a blessing or a curse. And then, kind of ends, will this, whatever being done, will this allow, will it create order? All of that, starting from chapter 14, verse 1, Pursue love. So he gave, again, chapter 12, explanation where gifts come from, what their purpose is. Then chapter 13, here's all these gifts, but you need to use them for love. And now he's going to dive back down to the Corinthians-specific issue that they're using tongues and prophecy in selfish ways. Jerry, we left off with you. Don't want you to feel left out. Can you read chapter 14, 1 through 12? Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. <clears throat> one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? But if a bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be the one 
I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Alright, so here, this whole chapter, I think chapter 14 has a heading, Pursue Love. Then it's worked out. Um, and here, well, how's that worked out? Well, verse 3, that we speak for, at least in the ESV, the upbuilding, the encouragement, the consolation of others. So the goal is not merely just to expound our knowledge, nor is it to be on some kind of soapbox so that I can let you all know what's been, been the bee in my bonnet this week. Um, it's what will encourage, what will console, what will do those various things. And all of that here is driving to, well, tongues or prophecy. Which should they use? Well, he's arguing prophecy is clear and understandable, uninterpreted tongues or not. And so what should they do in the church? Well, they should consider, will my speech build others up? Well, if they can't understand what I'm saying, it won't build others up. And we'll look more at that in just a minute. But Paul uses the word several times. Uh, if I believe Jerry's version had um, edification, it's the word oiko demo, which oiko is house and demo is build, so building up a house or edification, or the ESV just has built up. The idea is. As one person described it, the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, holiness, and happiness. And we're going to talk for a second how that happens, but that's implying two important things. One, that God cares about us not just as individuals, but also as groups. Now, in the past, that wouldn't have been that radical statement, but today, a lot of Americans are very focused on the individual and in that we need to see God also cares about the group. That we should be concerned not just for how am I built up, but how will I build up others. And then second, it shows that, and this is no revelation here, um, no person, no church is done. We are all still needing to be built up. Ephesians 2, 20 through 21. Let's hold your finger in 1 Corinthians and flip over there. I'll read this one. Ephesians 2, 20 through 21. I'll just back up to verse 19. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we're growing, we're not there yet. In him you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So two different ideas in there that we're being built, we're growing, we're not there yet. Now we have a sure foundation, that foundation is Christ, and then that's built on the apostles and the prophets. We talked to Smith some time in past weeks, but every church needs to be growing. So let's think about this, how do we grow spiritually? I'll put answers on the board. Discipleship, I would maybe pull that one out and put study and fellowship under that and maybe some other things under discipleship. <coughs> what, what would maybe be other elements that would be under discipleship? Accountability. Okay. I mean, I think that discipleship and accountability are different yet the same. Prayer. 
would say intentional love. Because if you're being intentionally loved by others, that changes you in in the context of fellowship, discipleship, how they're pursuing you. So. Yeah, I would add um, modeling. Does modeling have two L's? Or maybe imitation. Uh, chapter 11, Paul says, 1 Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ, or follow me as I follow Christ. Um, but to follow someone, that implies you have to see them. <laughs> you have to be in their life. To be, you can't say, follow me. Well, I don't know what you do. I never see you. Well, you know, discipleship is a process of intentional love, so modeling. And in, in that modeling, there's times of teaching, accountability, prayer together, let's pray about this. Resisting sin, confessing sin, bearing one another's burdens, they're all different. I don't know what the discipleship necessarily but Okay. I mean, men under, might be, yeah. as far as the confessing yeah. of sin. But. Under fellowship, I would say, relationally connected to the body of Christ. That's Just because we're in the same room doesn't mean we're having fellowship. In, in relationship with one another. Maybe being forthright or transparent. How are you fine? Everyone's fine every day, every Sunday, but somehow we're all not fine. Though we're all fine every time we ask. Oh, you said another one, Keith. Resisting sin, confessing sin. Bearing one another's Thank burdens. You. Yeah, yeah, there's overlap. Yeah. <laughs> I think your original question was how how can you grow? Yeah. Um, I think you have to know the Lord before there can be growth. Okay. There has to be a, a, a genuine conversion, I guess. Okay. In pursuit of knowing God. Knowing God more. Right, and while a few of these maybe could be done individually, like you can always study individually, you can always do evangelism individually, but then if you lead someone to Christ, what do you do then? Okay, now you go study by yourself, and you go evangelize people by yourself. Well, no, Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, teaching. Okay, so now you're, now then you should be moving to this. So now you're starting... Well, eventually it would grow until you have a church. So we should all be doing this. That's what he's driving at here. Um, as a church, you should be seeking to build one another up. And well, how does this happen? What happens when we can understand? And this is real basic. But when we can understand one another. So he then goes on in of this first section in verses 6 through 11. 6 through 12, actually. To give three different <laughs> illustrations of this. The first one, two are about musical instruments. Uh, Keith plays an instrument. I know David plays an instrument. Hides it, but he does. Anyone else play instruments? Yes. Play on an instrument, does that count? All right. Now, so the, if the rest of us who don't play instruments, we're told we need someone to go play piano. And we went up there and tried to play the first song. I would not be able to get anything that would lead people to go, oh, well, this is what we're singing. You know, some songs we have all sung enough that you just play the first couple notes, and even if we didn't have words on the screen, you go, oh, we're singing this. Okay. If you go up and play and you go, what's... What's going on? Or here he uses the example of a bugle and military people. What are some of the things, at least in the United States, military bugle plays or a recorded bugle over an intercom? Taps. Wake up. Wake up. Reveille. Taps. Charge. Before, when they're gathering the flag. Yeah. Before they lower the flag down, they always play a particular retreat. Yeah, and if you're used to military base, you know these things happen at the same time every day, and some people go, oh, it's almost time I'm around the building, so I have to stand attention, <laughs> or maybe not. But nonetheless, 
you know what all those are doing. As soon as you hear it, you know, oh, it's Reveille, it's Taps, it's up, oh, they're lowering the fag, the flag, they're playing national anthem. They all are giving very clear signals. And they use languages. You know, here we all speak English, but we could go to other churches in town where they're only speaking Spanish. And, you know, maybe we could look around and go, oh, they're excited. That's encouraging. Maybe. Why are they excited, though? Ultimately, there wouldn't be much building up, almost none that would happen if we were in a service where they only spoke another language and never interpreted. And that's Paul's point. If you're coming in and you're doing something that only makes sense to you, and I, I think in all these, chapter 14, he's talking about uninterpreted tongues, that's not going to build others up. And that's when you come together, that should be your goal. Build others up. And so that's why he says prophecy is greater than tongues. I think he's saying because there's intelligibility and intelligibility leads to building others up. That's what the goal is. So then he's going to talk about this may be good, but now the right time. We stop to Jerry. We'll go over to you, Joseph, since Marie's got Caleb. Could you read 13 through 19 for us? What chapter are we? No, we're in chapter 14, sorry. Chapter 14, 13 through 19. Yeah, that would have been good, but not what we're after. 13 through 19. Yeah. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Alright, so this is kind of obvious, but is Paul saying we shouldn't care about personal growth or personal experiences with the Lord? No. That's not what he's saying. What's he saying about personal growth or personal experiences? personal yes exactly it should be personal that's a wonderful thing to do but not right now look at verse 17 again the phrase that he uses over and over oikodemo incur edification building up he goes for when you be give, for you may be giving thanks but the other person is not built up that's the whole point is what you're doing building others up now this is quite different, and we don't even need to go into charismatic circles now, even now among evangelistic circles. I've been in worship services where the worship leader will say things like, y'all just do whatever you feel led to do. And I even heard them say things like, if you feel like barking like a dog to the Lord, bark like a dog. Do whatever the Spirit is leading you to do in your worship. Now that, I'm going to argue, is a distinctly different thing than we're being called for here. And yet, I think more and more even evangelical churches have a different conception of what worship is. So let me give two different conceptions. One is, we are gathering as a body to together worship God. The second is, we are gathering together so we can create an environment where, we'll just say, 35 people can all have individual worship experiences. And we are just facilitating everyone having their own worship experience. Sorry. I'm not getting emotional, I just got tickled. <laughs> I do get emotional, though. Um, the point, though, is you can even look at some churches, and I'm not dogging them if they use this language, but they didn't change from worship to experience time. Well, I'm not gathering for an experience, and yet that's exactly what they're trying to do, and I think that flies in the face of what Paul is saying here. And yet the point, again, is not that Paul is denying the importance of personal experience or personal worship, nor if we're singing and you go, oh, this really encourages me, you can't be like, oh, sin, I can't be thinking about me right now. This is about together. It's not the point. The point, though, is if 
we're doing something, I would argue, unless there's something really serious going on, it would be inappropriate for you to go, oh, you know what, right now I just want to read scripture. I know they're all singing, but to me, scripture reading right now is what I need. Or, hey, now they're reading scripture, but I'm going to go over here and kind of think about this hymn that really encourages me. No, together we're seeking to worship the Lord. Now, how can us, how can me singing encourage Jerry? I mean, I'm the one singing. I'm the one thinking the words. Or anyone else for that matter. I'm not picking on Jerry. But if you're singing out loud, then the words are, I mean, I'm hearing the words and the words God may use that yeah. in my life. Yeah, together we're reminding one another of these truths. I mean, speaking, speaking like saying Jesus is Lord is an expression of faith, and so seeing is an expression of faith. And when you're witnessing a lot of expressions of faith, that's encouraging to your own faith. Okay. Yeah. Some songs are, are are truly songs of repentance, and if you're beside somebody who's singing through heaving sobs, and you're sitting there and it's really not affecting you, you know, man, well, maybe I need to pay better attention to what the lyrics are saying. Or if you're in a funk, if you're just beaten by the world and here the saint beside you is exalting and rejoicing to God, that can be really encouraging to you in a time where you're really dark. And so it's, it's being with the body in worship. It's just right. Yeah. Or sometimes when you know what that person's been through and they still come and you see them rejoicing in the Lord, you go, I know everything that's going on in their life and they're over there smiling and singing to joy to the Lord and I had a bad cell signal on the way and I'm still grumpy about it. What's, I didn't, but it's an illustration. But I, should, I can live with my trials and burdens. Look at that. That's so encouraging. Or, oh, man, I know last Sunday those two people had a big argument, and they're now talking to one another, and they're singing together. Oh, fellowship, forgiveness, I can see that lived out. You know, I, I often say it's not just what we sing that encourages one another, but how we sing it. You know, <coughs> if you're ever up front and you watch people sing week after week, it can be a little disconcerting when you see the same people every week have a frown on their face during all the songs and you're going I mean I know that I don't always come super chipper but uh, every week while we sing there's no joy in the Lord I mean that's that's saying something to the people around them and the people up front and ultimately to God and the flip side there's some people you see them and oh, I just love to see them sing they're filled with exuberance and they're building others up even by the way they praise the Lord I've kind of riffed for a little bit other thoughts on how when we gather singing or the other elements of worship can be an encouragement build one another up and we can expand even beyond the formal time I mean, there's other parts of our worship it demands engagement I mean this is Worship is not a spectator sport. It is, it is engagement. We, we gather to worship, and so we should be worshiping uh, and eating. And so the, the lyrics of these written hymns are just so powerful. Some of the ones we're going to be doing today are so good to really take them and possess them as my own or as a church and to vault them before the throne of God and to experience His grace. But it requires engagement. Yeah. All right, well, let's look at the next section. Another thing, the Corinthians, that we need to ask is, will this be a blessing or curse? And these are some challenging verses. Um, we're looking big picture at them, so but hopefully we can kind of get the big picture. Uh, Shauna, could you read chapter 14, 20 through 25? Yes. 20 through 25? Yes. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, 
not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophecy in an unbeliever or un an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Well, not to dive too much into this, but this can be a little confusing because in verse 23, Paul, 22 actually, he says, tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but believers. But then he'll go on and say, but unbelievers, when they hear prophecy, are built up. And they say, Jesus is here. So there's a lot of little details, but kind of big picture, I think what he's saying is he's making an illusion. Because in verse 21, he quotes from Isaiah, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And that's coming from Isaiah 28:11, And behind that is Deuteronomy 28, 49 through 50, where God tells Israel, if you rebel, you will hear people of strange tongues. Well, what does he mean by that? He means in Israel, they'll hear soldiers talking and they won't understand them. And they'll go, oh, we're in trouble because that's a soldier in our land. And we don't know what they're saying. We're in trouble. And then he makes this illustration here. But again, the big picture is intelligibility or unintelligibility. And tongues, they may be great, but in a service where they're not interpreted, that could be a curse to others because they're going, I don't understand. An unbeliever comes to gather, goes, I want to know. And they go, they're cursed because they left not understanding. Not just that, they say, these people are mad. So you're trying to bless God and you're actually cursing these unbelievers because they leave thinking you're all crazy. As opposed to that, if you prophesy, and we spend a lot of time talking about what that means, but if you prophesy or you speak clearly, we're speaking big picture here, they go, this is the truth. That, wow, that really hit what's going on in here. This is real. And so you should consider what is going to be beneficial for others. Um, let's just flip real quickly to Hebrews 4, because prophecy is always God's word, no matter how we define it. Everyone can agree with that. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, says a very similar thing. Uh, Keith, could you read that for us when you're there? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So this is one of the reasons we try to wrap so much of our church around clearly explaining scripture. Because that's what reveals men's hearts. That's what convicts them. That's what exposes them. And they go... Like 1 Corinthians 14 said, God is really here. Now, are other things good? Yes. But we should always keep what's primary, primary. So, can God and does God work through drama of Scripture stories in Scripture? Yes. And for Christians who feel compelled to do that, that's a wonderful thing. But, that's not what we should be doing when we gather. Because... There, that has to be interpreted. We want to give the clear explanation of Scripture. That's why, one of the many reasons why we want to focus teaching God's Word, preaching God's Word, because that is what convicts people and calls them to account. And after this, we're going to kind of shift gears, of Paul is, to order. So any other thoughts on intelligibility or unintelligibility and why that's so important for our gatherings? Uh, Will, David, would you read the last section, 26 through 40? Yep, sorry. Go ahead, Joseph. Acts 2, the tongues were intelligible, but here it seems like time and again he's referring to the tongues as being unintelligible unless they're interpreted. You mentioned the place of Corinth, uh, and maybe there's people only a similar tongue there, but 
It just seems really different, and I'm trying to process it. Yeah, I would say that's what, one, makes it really challenging um, because we only have two places where tongues are talked about all of the things in Acts and then here in Corinthians, and it seems really different. Because the miracle in Acts 2 is clearly not a miracle of interpretation. It's a miracle of them being able to speak something that they could understand. And yet, why do we need an interpreter now? Um, so, either it's different type of tongues. Maybe it is some kind of prayer tongues. Or, or maybe it could be an and there. It's that it's a different situation. And they're speaking other languages, but those people aren't there in those languages. So, we kind of have either or, or that could both be there. Keep doing that something. No, I just, okay. Just, the uh, the sun, you, was it last week that you covered yep. that? I mean, it's, you, that was the wrestling with what kind of tongue it is. Would have been nice if you like labeled it differently or something. Because tongue, it, yeah, because tongues made it more intelligible in actually. Yes. Yeah. Less. And we have like a it's a this kind of thing going on. Well, that's why even twenty through twenty five of Tehran is confusing because it says prophecy is. Not this, and then he turns around and says, prophecy is great so unbelievers can understand. Like, and I think you can get it all to make sense, but it takes time. <laughs> and we're trying to go big picture today. It's a good question. All right, David. All right, 26. To 40, yep. 40. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and in each turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting here, sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or is it from you that the word of God came? Or, or are you the only ones it has reached? Anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, prophecy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done peaceably and in order. Alright, so again, verse 26, let all things be done for... Building up. <laughs> he couldn't be clear. What's the point? In case you've missed it, I mean, he said it so many times in chapter 14, which wasn't a chapter then, it was a letter. But nonetheless, he said it so many times, you, they couldn't, or they shouldn't have missed it. Is what you're doing for building others up. Hey, what you're doing may be great. This might not be the time. Hey, that might be great, but that might be confusing to unbelievers right now. Is what you're doing for building up. And it seems like, in the context, what's happening is they're having a more of a loose time and multiple people are speaking at once and people are doing different things and so everyone's going ah what's going on I, I, he was saying something good and then this person started talking over here and you've probably been in conversations like that where three people are talking at once and finally can we have one person talk at a time I really want to hear what everyone has to say but until you do that and go what does he say one at a time have two or three then it's chaos and confusion and so he's saying over Order is what we need. Again, verse 31. So that all may be encouraged. Emphasizes it again. Verse 32. We get the other side. Order. God's not a God of confusion. Everyone talking, but peace. And quick side note, verse 40. Not side note, at the end. All things should be done decently and in order. So, why is order so important? I mean, he's making a big deal about this. I mean, is Paul just a type A control freak? Because God is a God of order. Yeah. We always have to remember that because people want to be, well, Paul was this, well, Paul's inspired by God and he's talking of 
God's character, not just his personality or his whims or his theology. Chaos doesn't generally foster growth. Yeah. You go to any store and they do well when they have nice ordered shelves. They don't just bring a big truck and dump it all in and go, yeah, in there's some bananas somewhere if you want some. You wouldn't shop there. You go where everything's organized and clean, and you go, boom, 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 all right, let's go. Uh, Farmers no longer just scatter the seed. It's like in specific rows. In very specific, now you GPS ordered. (laughs) Yeah, and because an ordered field gets the most growth. An ordered church. Not just, and he's not just, I mean, here he's just talking about the, worship gathering, but order, he'll talk to Titus, create order in the church, and then he talks about elders. So order in structures as well. All right, so we're running out of time, but let me just give a question and then an exhortation. So a question to ask yourself is, after gathering together, would others, by God's grace, have been encouraged, exhorted, rebuked, or loved, or even something else, by your actions? Now, I don't mean by that, did you preach a sermon? You know, you can encourage someone by coming up and shaking their hand and saying, it's so good to see you today, meaning it. They can leave going, so I'm not saying, do you have, go back to the beginning of chapter 12. God's given us numerous gifts. Your gifts might be friendship. Just going up, you know, a lot of times people leave, why do they leave a church? No one ever said hi to me. You know, that might be the greatest spiritual gift you get. You go up to people and you go, Hi, I've never seen you before. I'll tell myself, I, I have this gift. <laughs> I'm going to make fun of myself here. So the, uh, in college, I went up to this girl, no, no nefarious intentions. I said, hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm glad you're here at church today. And she goes, yeah, you've told me four weeks in a row. <laughs> so make sure you uh, remember who you're talking to. And not just being friendly, but getting to know them and maybe remembering their name. Um, but nonetheless... That can be a spiritual gift. So you should come to church, not just, well, I didn't like those songs. I didn't like that sermon. No. What can you contribute? I mean, even today, what what am I here to do? Am I here to be fed? I hope so. We're not talking only. But also, am I here also to feed and love others? And what this calls for is we laid out here, cannot happen even from 9.30 to 11.45. We cannot accomplish what God wants us to do as a church on a Sunday morning in two hours and 15 minutes. It involves life on life outside of church, even. But, Paul's instructions here are to the church, in the gathering, so am I coming to build others up? And so my exhortation is, I hope at the end of this series, you've not left with, all right, more ammunition to argue with my charismatic friends. If that's what you've left with, then I've either done a poor job teaching or you've done a poor job applying what these verses are calling us to, because they're calling all of us, whatever giftings we have, and that's various, to love one another in this body so that they, and we as a group, can be built up. Uh, so that's the big picture. Any other final thoughts or comments as we wrap up the series on spiritual gifts? Orderliness also entails submission and a leadership or falling under the, the leadership of Titus. Whereas I get the impression that in these gatherings that Paul is talking about, there wasn't a concerted effort of elders leading Yeah, well, I think that's a great point because I've been in churches where people say, come up to me, probably has happened to Keith as well. I really feel burdened to say something to the church right now. Uh, Well, why don't we meet together and we'll talk about it and see what you need to say because we've already created the order for this Sunday morning and that's great, but we're, you got to submit to the leadership of the church. We're not just going to have anyone who feels a word from the Lord just speak up, stand up and speak at any time. 
Now, there are times we're pretty free in here if people want to speak. Um, we're not trying to squash everyone to only hear from certain people. But in the gathering, as you said, there's, hey, this is the order. Well, that I leads. get that from, if somebody wants to speak in tongues, let there be an interpreter, so there has to be an interpreter before that person can speak. Yeah, it's like a prior knowledge before yeah. they speak. Yeah. So, are they referring to... Well, that, that's a good discussion, but let's save that. That's kind of a niche in this. Let's kind of end big picture, but that's a good conversation. Yes? Living in Asia, the uh, Asians really think this way a little bit more communally versus individually. So I really appreciate it. we're talking about this. Um, like, is this more, is this a greater benefit for the body or for me as an individual? Christians out there, uh, thought that we should think of it more almost communally first, individually second. And I, I wonder, do you, do you know if in the ancient Near, Near East, if that was similar, kind of in this con- context, more communal? I would think there's a much more communal idea, though I, I'm not, I can't speak authoritatively. There's almost kind of this insecurity at times we can have, and we just keep, we keep viewing things from an individual lens, a me lens, a <coughs> lens as opposed to like, it is, it's us, we, I'm a part of this body, I am in Christ, and there's there's a really kind of beautiful um, purpose in that, I think. Yeah. I, I would argue you are more built up that way, too. If you're more focused on you, you're going to be less built up than you are. If you're investing in the body and part of the body, that's how you will naturally grow, is by being attached to the body. Yeah. All right, well, enjoy some kind of food and coffee. coffee. More coffee over there. And time of fellowship.